You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Wednesday night. We're in April, which means... Oh, no, we're not. We're not even in April yet. I feel... It I like just want to get there. I just want to get there, right? Uh, we're we're uh, a month away, a little under a month away from the NFL draft, and we are going to get it kick-started tonight. The NFL draft coverage really ramps up. Free agency, although the Bills may have knocked out the memo, Ryan, because you know there's been a lot of activity the last couple days, filling out some spots the back of the roster. We'll talk a lot about that tonight, but this is going to be a draft-focused show. As always, I am Matt Perino, joined by Ryan Talbot, and, and we got ourselves uh, uh, one heck of a guest to kick things off, Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports. I feel like it's a lifetime ago, Chris, when we sat in Indianapolis to do a little bit of a combine rap video a little over a year ago now, man. What a different world we live in, but you know, here we are. Yeah, this is like the most exciting time of the year for me, That and especially being on this podcast, to talk draft where it's not so distant for people that it, I'm just rambling and no one really cares what I'm saying. And we can focus about the bill. So like what there is really not a better podcast that I will do this entire year than a pre-draft one with Matt Perino and Ralph uh, and Ryan Talbot. Wow. That is, that is some, you know, you're pumping our tires. This is the, this is the <laughs> time true. of year where a lot of it's tires true. get pumped, but listen, we'll take it. And while we're on the subject, Ryan, you know, we're growing this YouTube channel. We, we got this uh, this new uh, weekly Friday show that we're going to be really uh, diving into. More details on that to come. Um, but hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. It really helps us out. Hit that like button on the video as we try to get everybody uh, to, to, to head to the channel. Ryan, as we get started in some of this draft stuff, you put out a mock draft this week. And I think that's a good place to start. Maybe even... Go through your mock draft or at least like the top three picks. Maybe have uh, Chris uh, poke some holes in that a little bit. That'd be fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, round one, pick 30. I didn't think it could happen, but I, I had the Bills landing Caleb Farley. Obviously, opted out last season, and now there's a back issue. So maybe for any of the Bills fans that are not aware, can you walk us through the process that he had? I know he said three- to four-month timeline, but 
what's the risk reward of landing a, a Farley there at pick 30 if he were available for the Bills? Well, yeah, this has all kind of happened pretty quickly over the last couple of days that he said he's going to be out, like you said, for a few months. And anytime you're dealing with a back injury, really with anyone, it can be your 55-year-old uncle or it can be an uh, NFL cornerback. It's serious. So there, that is the risk. But the reward could be that the Bills would be picking my number one cornerback in this class, a former wide receiver, over six foot, 200 pounds, super fast, that even if he's beat at the line of scrimmage, he has crazy recovery speed. And in those contested catch situations or when he is close to a wide receiver and is targeted, you see those former wide receiver skills. He finds the football with great regularity. And I think, and really for the longest time up until this back injury, there was a lot of debate. Is he the number one corner in this class or is it Patrick Sertan from Alabama? I think Caleb Farley is more athletic. I think he can travel with those quick safe quick separators a little bit better. So it would be an absolute home run of a pick for a team that even after re-signing Levi Wallace probably wants to address the cornerback number two spot relatively early. So to get him in the first round, and I know Ryan, uh, I believe it was Lance Zerline from NFL Network uh, that had him falling all the way to 30. So if if he's tweeting that out and, and he's writing that in his mock draft, maybe he's hearing that we could be in for a draft night fall for Caleb Farley, who when healthy is arguably the most talented and well-rounded corner in this class. Yeah. Let, and have, Oh, go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Let me just poke in here for a second because I love this when I saw that you dropped this the other day, Ryan, because I think that this is a pick that is a pick that a Brandon Bean and a Buffalo Bills team can make because of the situation that they're in. It's a little bit of a risk, right? Because, but to Chris's point, that kind of reward and getting that kind of level of rookie cornerback, I think this would may might be the kind of swing that they've been waiting to take. If he falls, we're talking, to, we're going to get into a bunch of different guys here and, you know, how far could they fall? Will they be there at 30? This is a guy that as we sit here and track this, this could be legitimate. And now, you know, you never know how this thing works out as you go through the process. Maybe some people are, you know, maybe voicing their concern a little bit more than others. But there's also, Chris, there's no rush to get him on the field. You have Levi Wallace. You have Dane Jackson. You can have an embarrassment of riches, even if you want to take a completely overcautious approach and let him maybe even sit out this entire season. I know people don't want, want to, you know, even think about that, and he'll probably be ready in a couple months. But you have that ability if you're the Bills. Yeah, and that's the luxury with what the Bills, like what came of the Bills free agency and retaining so many of those starters and bringing back almost the entire AFC championship team that they don't have to rush their first round pick number 30 overall onto the field right away and will need to lean on him to be the guy, whether that be edge rusher, whether that be running back, whether that be corner, uh, whether that be interior defensive line. So with Caleb Farley, again, he wouldn't have to play right away, but he is a premier talent, both in terms of just his refined skills and just his speed, his size, and his athleticism. And I know, obviously, not knocking Trey White, who to me is still an elite corner in the NFL and entering the prime of his career, the Bills need a little bit more size at the corner spot. I know Levi Wallace is a little bit taller. They need size, and I think they need a little bit more athleticism mm. to be able to match up with a 6'2", 6'3", wide receiver that can really move. And Caleb Farley has the size, the length, and the athleticism 
to be a perfect complement to Tredavious White in Buffalo. Yeah, and also getting a cornerback on a rookie deal, obviously, when you're paying Trey White mm-hmm. a large contract, that's always beneficial as well. Now, rounds two and three, I attacked the offensive and defensive line. Defensive line first, Joe Tryon, Washington edge rusher. Uh, and then round three, Quinn Meaners, uh, Whitewater, Wisconsin, or Wisconsin Whitewater there. Small school pro- uh, prospect who really did well at the Senior Bowl, really has made a name for himself. Uh Thinking for that pick specifically, Mitch Moore's concussion history, the Bills-like versatility, he can play guard and center. So uh, thoughts on those two prospects? Well, I think those are really good, and and they're pretty realistic. That Joe Tryon, I'll I'll just speak to him for a second because you just talked about minors. Uh, Joe Tryon seems kind of like a Bills pick, that he's 6'5", he's 260, very strong run defender, and as a pass rusher, he is a high-energy player. There are not any reps that he's complacent using his hands. He likes to go inside a little bit more than I would like because that kind of leaves him open to get kind of driven past the quarterback or just completely out of the play. He was a 2020 opt-out, so we don't know that much about him. Um, But with his length, speed to power conversion, he's very strong in his upper half and just that hustle. He kind of feels like a Brandon Bean and a Sean McDermott pick. And then with uh, minors to be a senior bowl standout coming from the D3 level. I think that really says it all. We know in the past that Brandon Bean has kind of leaned a little bit toward those senior bowl prospects, especially the ones that have a really good week down there in Mobile. And I think on film, there are times where Miners is a little off balance and he's probably going to take some time to acclimate to the NFL level in terms of just the pure skill that these pass rushers have in terms of their pass rushing moves. But he is as strong as an ox, and he is a fine athlete. I agree with you, Ryan. I think he can play guard or center. And, yes, we do know, like, with the re-signing of John Feliciano um, and the fact that they've had Ryan Bates on the roster for so long, they love that versatility. And it really comes in handy, uh, you know, late into a season or into the playoffs. On Tryon a little bit, I'm I'm very – and this will transition to the topic that I really want to spend some time on here at the top of the show, and that's the edge rusher position mm-hmm. in general and how the Bills can maybe approach this depending on how the draft falls. And if they go another position and don't uh, address that at, at, at 30, I'm interested to know how you kind of, you know, tier these guys, not only in terms of their skill set, but what they're able to do. Like reading up on Tryon a little bit, and I, I will admit I'm still at the beginning stages of all of this because, as I mentioned on the show multiple times, it's not every year you get to cover your the Bills, you know, deep into January. Yeah. So you know, it kind of took some time, uh, you know, free agency and all that. But Tryon seems like a guy that you know doesn't have that high end athleticism. Kind of wins in some of similar ways going back to last year. Reading AJ Epinesa's, um, uh the what what scouts were saying about him kind of looks a lot similar so do you want to go that route and bring in another guy that kind of does the same kind of things are they comparable and how do you kind of look at this class and and what each kind of group does i think they're similar prospects i actually liked aj epinesa a little bit more i thought he was better beating blockers with his hands than joe tryon and i agree joe tryon and aj epinesa they're not crazy athletes for the edge rusher spot um and Although I I do think the Bills like to have a quality run defender, it's really all about getting after the quarterback. And I think it's funny that we've seen some mock drafts where Joe Tryon lands to the Bills at 30. Mm -hmm. I think that would be too early. So that's why I really like the pick in Ryan's mock in round two. I think that's more of where his value is. 
because for as high energy of a player he is, for as good as he is with his bull rush, he's not really great with those pass rushing moves yet. But I think in round two, that would be good value. Um, and he does have a little bit of work, but that's what's good, again, about the Bills. Keeping Jerry Hughes, of course, retaining Mario Addison. They don't necessarily need to plug Joe Tryon in as a 700-snap player as a rookie. That's really important. Mm -hmm. So, Ryan, let me get your thoughts here, too, and, and then we'll we'll bounce it over to Ryan. When you look at this edge rusher class and we're starting to do – you know, the due diligence on each guy. I, I, the one guy that kind of stands out to me in terms of being a, a little bit of an athlete but also well-rounded, uh, Jalen Phillips from Miami, somebody that, you know, I've had conversations, you know, with as many people as I can not having the combine this year, and he's a guy that, you know, the value at 30 there with him, you know, he's probably not going to be there, let's be honest. And there's a couple different guys. We can get into uh, Chris Trapasso's latest mock draft as well. Uh, he had the Bills going edge rusher at 30. Um, but but where are you at and who's your dream scenario? Because a guy like Gregory Rousseau on the same team as Phillips is a guy that has those crazy traits, but, you know, limited sample size. Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I actually there's there's a few addresses. And Matt, going to your point, I wouldn't necessarily say that that, that scenario can't happen because with, with Phillips specifically. There's obviously going to be a run on quarterbacks early. There's a, a few wide receivers that we know are going top 10, top 15. Uh, obviously throw a certain tight end in that mix as well who's who plays like a wide receiver. So a lot of defensive talent is going to get pushed down the board. And someone, some really good player is going to land in Buffalo's lap. Uh, where the Bills go in that direction, who knows. But yeah, Phillips definitely caught my eye. He had a really impressive pro day recently. Uh, so I, I like that. I like him specifically, Rousseau. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say he hurt his draft stock at all, but I could see him falling a little bit past 30 as well. Yeah, I think Jalen Phillips would be a home run pick for the Bills. Uh, and really, if you go back and look at those pro day results from the University of Miami, Jalen Phillips was the biggest freak there. I mean, Gregory Rousseau, taller, like six foot seven, longer wingspan, but in terms of a vertical, the 40-yard dash, the broad jump, and it shows on film. He's not that explosive. And don't be fooled by 15 and a half sacks as a redshirt freshman, which that in and of itself was impressive. A lot of the sacks were covered sacks or they were on stunts. Mm -hmm. I think Rousseau is way down the road in terms of being a finished product. Now, again, maybe at 30, the Bills say, hey, you don't have to be that guy right away. But I think right now, the Bills are ready to win the Super Bowl. And they want someone that can come in and be a quality pass rusher in year one, even if he's not a full-time every-down player. Jalen Phillips checks all the boxes for me. I have him graded um, inside the first round, actually a little bit higher than number 30 overall. Speed, power, pretty good bend, knows how to use his hands. He was the number one recruit in the entire nation just a few years ago. The only concern that I have with him is the fact that at UCLA, and it's kind of well documented by now, uh, when he started his college career, he had a couple of con concussions and actually retired from football before transferring to Miami and having a breakout 2020. So he would be my second uh, in terms of priorities at the edge rusher spot for the mm -hmm. Bills at 30, and I don't know if you want to get into him right now. Aziz Oljulari from Georgia. If he's there at 30 in terms of just being a pass rushing specialist in year one and learning from Jerry Hughes, who is a similarly small but explosive and very refined edge rusher, I think that would be a pick. Aziz Ojulari from Georgia would have instant impact 
uh, in year one and down the road, planning for the future, given the age of the Bills edge rushers that are going to be, you know, mostly starting in 2021, he would be perfect for the long-term view as well. Now, let, before I keep going here, I want to make sure I have your latest. This March 24th mock, this is your latest? Or did you have another one? I, I do so many. I, don't. I know, right? It's, it's hard Today's to keep. Wednesday. I think I came out. Is it a two-round mock draft? Because that's the most recent one I did. All right. Let me double check this. Because the reason why I, br I bring it up is because, um, yeah, I can't, first of all, I can't imagine how you guys keep this together like uh somebody else I'm, I'm hoping to get on uh ryan wilson uh, mm -hmm. your co-worker over there at cbs sports is it coming out with a, a mock draft every week of this of the year it seems like how do you keep it all together it's just changing around a lot of picks it's been one since i think the start of the football season that's just how we've done it they just do so well people love to read them uh but it's fun now though like early on you're just kind of throwing names in there to see how the board will fall. But now we like know what teams are probably going to do in terms of position, their top needs. Um, we have kind of narrowed it down with the bills, edge rusher corner, potentially running back. So it's a lot more fun now, but I, I, I will say that when I, when the draft is finally here and I submit that final mock draft on the day of the draft, I, I'm not exactly angry when that endeavor. Is <laughs> okay. So staying on the edge rushers here, cause I did find the yeah. latest one and Ojolari, you had being the first edge rusher off the board in the mock on the 24th. Now he becomes the third or fourth at pick 22. And the new one has first one coming off the board is Jalen Phillips. And then Jason Owa, who I was going to ask you about, because he's a guy that had an unbelievable performance at his pro day. I mean, the absolute crazy numbers, eye-popping stuff. Tell us a little bit about him because – He's one of those guys that, yeah, he had the big pro day, but sometimes those guys pop for a minute in the mock draft scene, and then they tend to kind of, you know, recalculate or recalibrate, if mm -hmm. you will, once we get closer to the draft. If he's a guy that's there, how, how would that kind of fit in, in terms of what the Bills are looking to do on the edge? Well, I would love to hear Ryan's thoughts on Jason Owe as well, because it seems like there is so much split opinion on him because, like you said, Matt, he's a freaky athlete. He was – uh, number two on Bruce Feldman's freak list coming into the college football season, kind of a list that assembles the most athletic players in college football. It's like 6'4", almost 260, looks like a Greek god, looks like a sculpture. Uh, and then he runs super fast, big vertical, great three cone. I just don't think with Jason Owe that I see that same type of athleticism on the field. And I don't know what, why that is, why that happens with some players. Maybe I'm just missing it. And – I thought at Penn State in 2019 and this past year uh, in that abridged version or that abridged season in the Big Ten that he was winning on like pure athleticism alone and just speed to power. I don't know if he has great pass rushing moves yet, but again, going back to this theme, learning from Jerry Hughes, who's great with his hands, Mario Addison, who knows how to beat blockers in more than a few ways, I think that would be good for him. And I think that at 30, if you're a team in a luxurious situation in terms of your roster like the Bills are, they could say, this guy is just too talented, too long, too freaky to pass up at number 30. He could be someone in a few years that's like Donnell Hunter, who came into the league out mm -hmm. of LSU, was a second-round pick, didn't have great pass rushing moves, and then everyone thought, hey, you know, he, he's going to take years to be good. And now he's an elite pass rusher. So Jason Owe doesn't really do it for me in terms of a terms of being like a safe pick, 
But I wonder what Ryan saw when he's, if he's watched his film, what he thought, and that if he thinks he's worth the number 30 overall selection. Well, I think you actually kind of nailed it in terms of the athleticism that you saw at his pro day doesn't match up with what he's done so far or what he's done in his career at Penn State. And that's what makes me think that maybe he won't be a consideration. If you look, Brandon Bean and this, uh, the, the personnel with the Bills, they go with game tape. They go with the guys who perform production on it. Well, yep, production too, absolutely. They're, they kind, they might go with those athletic traits day two, day three, like a Dawson Knox, obviously. Uh, but round one, they, they seem to go with the production. They seem to go with what they see on tape because the tape doesn't lie. Uh, that's more important than how you look without any kind of shoulder pads and your gear on. So I'm hesitant on it, but you also brought up a good point that the bills are in a good spot right now where whoever they pick at number 30 may not have to get on the field and play significant reps as a rookie because the bills do have most, if not all bases covered right now. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I always think back to uh Tredavious white, like the first pick of this era of Sean McDermott, that, Go back and look at that uh, 2017 cornerback class. Like Marshawn Lattimore, Gary and Conley from Ohio State were in that class. They all tested through the roof. Tredavious White fell to number 27 overall because he wasn't this high-caliber athlete that jumped out of the gym at the combine. But his film was littered with pass breakups and interceptions and zone savvy and man-to-man abilities. So I do agree with Ryan that I think Jason Owe would be a very surprising pick, and I don't think it will ultimately happen. Although he's definitely someone worth talking about because of those athletic traits in his workout. I think the Bills do kind of lean on what they see on the film. And I don't think Jason Owe is a first-round talent uh, just based on his film alone. One of the things that really – and I'm going to kind of bob and weave here a little bit as you know we talk about certain things and, and it kind of you know spikes my interest. But you know, talking about a, a specific brand of player, I think is really important when you're talking mm-hmm. about this regime and how they kind of, you know, bring in talent and evaluate talent. And one of the things that I think they're looking to do, especially in the draft, when you're talking about a two, three year window of a player that they want to get in there and develop, they, I think, want to add somebody in that defensive backfield, whether it be the secondary, whether it be at the second level in the linebacking room. They want somebody they can move that has some that some quickness, but also a physicality and an ability to tackle. So, you know, I want to bring up first and foremost your who you had the Bills select. You know, um, pronounce it for me, Jeremiah Awusa Koromoa. Is that correct? Got it. On the Nailed first it. time, I'm so I'm so Nailed impressed it. with myself. Um, that's one thing that you get into these. Uh, y- you read them a bunch of times, but then when you have to say them for the first time, I can't imagine. For you draft dudes that have to get into this back, you know, way back, maybe even before they even play a game, starting to say some of these names, it's crazy. But he's somebody that I watched a little bit of his tape, and I know Ryan, uh, anything Notre Dame, I usually <laughs> let him take the floor. Uh, but he seems like the kind of guy, I know there's some tackling concerns, but the kind of, you know, multiplicity to his game, the speed, you have him falling to the Bills at 30. I even think he might be a guy that at 25 – Brandon Bean starts to sit on his hands a little bit and maybe make some phone calls. Um, really talented. Is he a guy that you like? And is there any maybe cornerbacks that fit into what I was just talking about? I absolutely adore Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, and it kind of like rolls off your tongue after a while. Okay. Um, or I just call him Joker, just his abbreviation of his name. He's my number one uh, linebacker in this class. He's to me a top 10 talent. Grading him 
just on all in all the areas that I think are important at the linebacker spot today, he was just through the roof. I think he's sudden. He's very fast in terms of range to the sideline against the run. And importantly, in today's NFL, traveling down the field with a tight end or a corner, that's like he makes plays 30 yards down the field uh, that 95% of linebacker prospects wouldn't even dare trying. And I think that's why a lot of people are saying he's a safety. Now, what's interesting about him, and I agree with you, man, I think if he got close to the Bills, Brandon Bean would maybe consider moving up a few spots because they usually are using two linebackers, just like the rest of the NFL. Matt Milano, they bring him back, Tremaine Edmonds, going into that fifth-year um, option decision. But in today's NFL, it doesn't hurt to have that big nickel player. And I feel like last year, I thought they were going to pick Jeremy Chin in round two. They go AJ Epinesa. Jeremy Chin is the last pick in round two and has a great rookie mm. season. So I think at this point, even – with Jordan Poyer coming back and Micah Hyde coming back, they're a little bit older, and it wouldn't surprise me, the Bills, the team that has a nickel coach, if they said, hey, you know what? Maybe this guy's not going to play a crazy amount of snaps, but just let's let him roam at the second level, cover tight ends, be a slot defender, blitz. He really does it all. I absolutely loved his film. And on draft night, I, I feel like people would be like, why are they picking a linebacker after signing Matt Milano? But this could be someone that would really make the Bills, like you said, multiple on defense because of all the things he can do in 2021. And then in the future, if, if things get out of hand in terms of contract demands for Tremaine Edmonds or you know, if, if it gets to a point where Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer lose a step, you have someone that can literally be your strong safety, your slot corner, your outside linebacker, your blitzing dime linebacker, Jeremiah Ousu-Kormoa, I think at 30. Um, even at six foot, 215 pounds, I think he would be a tremendous pick, although it wouldn't seem like a big need for the Bills right now. I think it actually could be. Yeah, I think you make a great point there. He is a tremendous athlete. He could fill a lot of roles for this team. And just that Buffalo nickel or big nickel position has been the talk of a lot of Bills fans leading up to this year's draft. So if they don't go with Joker, if they don't go with Hamsa, uh, those are the two big names that get thrown around a lot. Who are some other big nickel, Buffalo nickel options that you could see the Bills targeting throughout this draft? Well, I know throughout the process, they have had a lot of communication with LSU safety linebacker Jacoby Stevens. Uh, he's like 6'1", 6'2", 225, fits the mold in terms of the physicality. He's more of like an in-the-box player. There wasn't a lot of uh, coverage responsibility or coverage production on his film, but he was a five-star recruit, never really lived up to that hype at LSU, but has long arms, a tremendous blitzer, very instinctive. I think he's an outstanding, just strictly run defender and has the range to get to the outside. So I think obviously because he's not being talked about like Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa or any of the other top, you know, safety linebacker hybrids that teams really want today, if you could get him third, fourth, fifth round because he didn't have crazy production, I think he fits that role. He can be a more athletic Dean Marlowe for the Bills. Jacoby Stevens is really the guy that I've kind of zeroed in on just because of the Bills' communication with him, the LSU connection, and the fact that he was a big-time athlete, big-time recruit, who's probably falling a little bit under the radar because, again, not crazy statistics, but the traits are there for him to blossom under Sean McDermott. You know, one thing that comes up a lot 
is, you know, we're looking at the AFC East and how things have shifted a little bit with the New England Patriots making some, you know, fun additions, the tight ends that they brought in. And one of the scary things for Bills fans is, all right, you know, there seems to be this, you know, this at least what people think to be a problem covering tight ends. I mean, Travis Kelsey had a good game against them earlier in the season. I think they've been a little bit better than I think that, you know, how things appear. But I think one of the things that they want to do better next year is just cover and affect teams at the line of scrimmage. And that goes more so than just what happens at the point of attack. And I think it also, you know, kind of goes at what you want to do on the outside. And one thing that I think really stood out to me, going back and watching some of the games, I don't think Tredavious White was ever 100% last season. Wow. And I I don't have any inside information there. But you go back and look at what was going on with him at the beginning of the season, the fact that they had this kind of weird lead-up to the season. And then he goes through that first month, suffers the injury, kind of missed that game. Remember the Tennessee situation? Is he in Tennessee? Is he going to play? And then we got to the second half of the season, and it always seemed like to me – it wasn't that same that 2019 Tredavious White level of play. And I think one of the best ways that you can go about defending a team like the Patriots, in addition to making additions like a, 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 a JOK or whoever else you're going to look at in this draft, is getting better play out of the guys that you have on the roster already. And I think a guy like Tredavious White, he's going to look at 2021, 20, even coming off of a second-team All-Pro year, and probably look to step his game up. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some of those tight end assignments, especially if they're able to add other pieces, you're able to kind of free Tredavious White up a little bit more, in my opinion, to maybe do some other things as well. Thoughts on that, Chris? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, a pretty good analysis. I didn't know that there was even – I mean, I've gone back to watch some of the film, but I haven't seen – anything that I thought that he was injured, but you're right. That, that tenant, that mysterious situation with the Titans game. And it wouldn't surprise me because I agree. I, I don't think Trey white played to the level that he did in 2019. I, I was expecting a little bit of a regression because he was so, so good in 2019, but we did see that in year four, he was able to uh, travel pre-snap with a slot receiver with a bigger, he wasn't just staying um, at left cornerback all the time. So I think we will see that in the future. But again, the one issue, and this is nitpicking with Tredavious White, he's like 5'11", 195 pounds, and he's not a crazy athlete. I think the Bills, especially with how much zone they like to play and with how much production that they've gotten out of Levi Wallace, who's not a crazy athlete, but he's long, I think in round two, round three, if they don't go corner in the first round, they will prioritize a little bit of a bigger and a faster cornerback so they won't have to put Trey White on the speediest or the biggest um, wide receiver or tight end that they face. That's like the one thing. I think that's why they brought in Josh Norman. Um, They wanted some more length in their secondary to finally add someone that's not a veteran on his last legs or a journeyman that's been on four or five other teams. Bring in a top-tier talent, a top-61 talent, if they use that second round pick on the cornerback spot, that will help Tredavious White and allow him to kind of pick and choose his matchups. Yeah, that's a great point. Most mock drafts, Chris, have running back, cornerback, edge rusher. And I think most Bills fans and Bills analysts would agree that after the end of last season, the Bills do need more from their pass rush. 
But could there be a, maybe a surprise pick in round one where they don't go with an edge rusher, they go with an interior defensive lineman? That might be a little off off the board, but they were re- reportedly interested in Jaron Reed, who was released by the Seahawks before yep. he signed with the Chiefs. Uh, so could they maybe address that pass rush in with, with someone in round one on the inside, uh, Christian Barmore out of Alabama, or maybe someone else that you have in mind? Yeah, that's a really good point to bring up because I think low-key, even with Star Latulale coming back, the Bills kind of have a need on the interior. That They got great contributions, I thought, from Ed Oliver playing nose tackle at 290 pounds. I think they kind of took away from some of his pass rushing prowess in his second season. Um, they bring back Vernon Butler, but they lose Quentin Jefferson, who's kind of a versatile guy up front. If Christian Barmore falls to 30, I think the Bills, especially knowing – Sean McDermott's past and in Carolina and even in his first four seasons with the Bills, how much he likes to rotate his defensive linemen, not just his DNs, but his defensive tackles. Um, it wouldn't shock me. I think it would shock a lot of people if Christian Barmore or Levi Anwazirke from Washington, who was a 2020 opt-out, um, has a very unique body. He's like 6'3 and 285, 290, but at Washington played the nose tackle spot. He played three technique. He played five technique. He played all up and down the line. He's not like a tremendous athlete, but I think at that size, he's good enough and he converts speed to power. Very, very heavy hands. I just like the fact that although he didn't put up crazy stats with the Huskies, like you saw him creating pressure. You saw him beating blocks in like in the trenches to make impact plays against the run. So that would be someone just going strictly off what we know Sean McDermott had to work with when he was in Carolina and really built up that defense. They had a lot of good quality interior rushers. And even with that, Oliver, Vernon Butler, Starlet Tulele, and Harrison Phillips, I, I wouldn't be shocked because it's hard to find a clear-cut hole on this roster. Christian Barmore might be the highest player on their board at number 30 overall. But the other one, Levi Anwazirke, if fans haven't watched him, go watch his film. He's a really fun player on tape. Um, we're going to keep going with uh, a lot of draft stuff here uh, still to come. But there was, you know, the, the cool thing about having Chris on the show is, you know, obviously he's a draft expert over at CBS Sports. Uh, you can follow him at Chris Trapasso on Twitter. I highly recommend it more than anything this time of year. Uh, but he's a great Bills follow all year long because he's a Bills fan and he, and he likes talking Bills as well. And the Bills have been active this week, uh, filling out some of, you know, some of the depth spots on, on the roster. And I think that, you know, you look at a couple of the moves that they made. They signed Bobby Hart to a one-year deal, a one-year deal for linebackers Tyrell Adams today, Markel Lee, uh, really bolstering that linebacker position. Everywhere you look on this roster now, and, th- and this will be opened up to both of you guys, you're seeing each position being solidified ahead of the b- draft that I, th- I think you really go into this thing knowing that worst-case scenario, even without a, a-, a draft, you go into next season really confident in each position group. And I, I saw some, you know, depending on who the guy was over the last couple of days, some real, um, what's the best word? Some animation on social media about some of these signings. None more than uh, Mr. Bobby Hart uh, earlier this week. I, I, some people really didn't like the signing. And if you look at some of his reps that were clipped out on social media, it's easy to, to understand why, but you look at that depth chart on the offensive line. I mean, this guy lands at number 10. To me, looks a lot like a camp body with the chance 
to maybe make some noise if he could sh- if he can flash. But I wouldn't get too overwhelmed about him. They, they added the linebacker position, and and all of a sudden now, Andre Smith, special teams ace, and then Tyrell Dotson, third year undrafted guy. You know they got some competition on their hand this uh, this coming uh, summer. Yeah, I echo those sentiments. I think both are camp bodies. Uh, going with Bobby Hart real quick. Someone on Twitter did ask me after the signing, what does that mean for the Bills in the draft? I said, well, it means nothing for the Bills in the draft. They can they can still take a tackle. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Bobby Hart is he's not coming here to start. He started a lot in Cincinnati. Uh, this would be a swing tackle opportunity for him, obviously. And, and to the fans who I was interacting with these last few days, yes, you're one injury away from heart playing significant reps. That's how the NFL works. You know, you're going to get a drop down in a lot of positions if you lose a starter. But he's also improved a little bit year by year. Now the bar is low. He's not playing at the, the level of a Deion Dawkins or a Daryl Williams, but he's been solid in, in certain areas, run blocking. Uh, he, he's done okay over these last few seasons. He's improving. He works hard. His coaching staff last year was really praising his play and his preparation, which there were some red flags there after he left the Giants early in his career. Uh, So he seems to be maturing. But, yeah, he's definitely not someone that you want to see in the lineup playing significant reps. But this time of year, you're getting these veterans, one-year deals, vet minimum. Worst case scenario, they're a camp body. Yeah, and I think the best thing that Brandon Bean, or one of the best things, and the biggest difference between Brandon Bean and a lot of other Bills GMs over the past 20, 30 years, is that like the bottom of the roster signings, I think, are good. Like he's creating legitimate competition uh, at, at so many spots. Like I, I'm going back to the Brandon Powell signing. Like the Bills re-signed Isaiah McKenzie. There's your returner, right? Oh no, we're gonna bring in Brandon Powell too. So I think. Brandon Bean is never satisfied with the state of his roster. And one thing on Bobby Hart, he's played in 80 games. He's made 66 starts. He's 6'5", 330 with long arms. Like I think at, at that point, it's similar to the Brian Winters signing last year. Just it's hard to find at this point in the season or of the offseason a blocker that has played that much football and has those traits. So, no, I don't think Bobby Hart is anything – um, major in the Bills' plans for 2021, but those accolades to play that much, he, he's been doing something right to get 80 appearances in the NFL and 66 starts. I just like overall, you have a re-signing of Matt Milano, but then you bring in a bunch of linebackers to keep the depth at that position really good, given that Tremaine Edmonds got hurt last year and Matt Milano has a little bit of an injury history. I think Brandon Bean could have just sat back and said, hey, we resigned our key free agents. We're good. We're going to go into the draft and pick the best player available. But as he's been signing a lot of these players, even F.A. Obata um, at the defensive end spot from the Carolina Panthers, continuing to improve the bottom of the roster, I think in a way is almost as important as the top of your roster. Because like Ryan said, you're an injury or two away from having these players having to be on the field. So that to me, just watching what Brandon Bean has done during his time as a GM, he's done that amazingly well to keep the bottom of the roster very good compared to other teams. You mentioned Winters. Um, 
I, to me, the guy that really jumps out is Spencer Long because I go back to when they signed him and I remember the reaction to it. This dude was absolutely terrible last year. Like, Winters was bad, but he was kind of banged up and he had a couple good years mixed in there. Long was just a guy that got panned. And he comes in here and plays three games and, you know, spot starts here and there for injured guys. This is not a guy that I think is going to factor into things. So, Dial back the intensity on that one just a tad. And listen, I get it. Like if I'm never going to tell people to to not um, have a take on a, on a move. Like if you're not happy with something, Brandon, it's not like Brandon Bean can do no wrong. Don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of things we liked about it, of what he's done on this podcast. We've, we've, we've voiced that. But listen, if you have a problem with it, definitely take it up. But I just don't think that that's the hill that's worth dying on. Let's move on a little bit. I want to ask you this. I want to get to um, a fun little uh, conversation that I want to get out on potential uh, trade up uh ideas but i want to ask you about this because one thing that i feel like if you do nfl draft for a living you're gonna have hits and you're gonna have misses and i i kind of want to just jump into your mind a little bit on that and how you deal with that from year to year and one guy in particular like you know that you were high on last year curtis weaver a guy that I, I don't know where things stand with him right now, but, you know, he obviously, you know, was with the Dolphins and then he was released and there's kind of all types of things going on there. Didn't play a snap this year. You had him going in the first round at, at least one point last year. And you kind of look at that and be like, man, what a whiff. But for every whiff, you've probably had like a dozen hits. So how do you deal with that every year? I feel like I'd go nuts. I don't know if it's that good of a ratio, uh, one <laughs> miss to 12 hits, but <laughs> I'll admit too, though, like I agree with you. It's, Deep down, it's not easy just like knowing like you're going to evaluate 250, 300 prospects, go into this uh, very detailed grading system, write scouting reports, change your grades after pro days and stuff, and you're going to get a ton of these guys wrong. Like it's not fun. It's like the least fun part about my job, but it is really rewarding when you have a guy in the first round uh, who goes in the third and then he plays like a first rounder. And with Curtis Weaver, he got, he like broke his foot before the season. Mm-hmm. So that's why he didn't make the Dolphins roster. He went in the fifth round. I obviously thought that was way too late. Um, but I always just stand by my convictions. I watch the film. I factor in uh, combine pro day, the age of the prospects. You don't really want a, a 24 or 25 year old out there as a rookie, um, which is again, crazy that Tremaine Edmonds is only 23 years old going into year four. Um, so yeah, it's not like, there's a few that I've hit on. There's certainly a lot of big whiffs, but definitely with me, I try to make a concerted effort to not be a part of the echo chamber and just, you know, spout off what everyone else um, is saying. I know a lot of other draft analysts do the same thing, but I'm definitely one that I watch film, factor in all the workouts because athleticism is really important and then just give you my rankings and my big board right before the draft. So, Chris, if you had to, what would be your biggest hit? The guy that you have pounded the table for and you've been correct about. Off the top of my head, I don't have like a crazy one, like a guy that went undrafted that I had like in the first or the second round. But going way back, I can rattle off a few because I was, I don't know why I was thinking about this today, but I was, and it's good. (laughs) Nice. Um, I had Khalil Mack ahead of Jadavian Clowney, and that was not a Buffalo bias. I just did not see it with Clowney nearly as much as Khalil Mack. Uh, and this is all in 2014 draft randomly. Uh, I had Johnny Manziel as like the sixth or the seventh quarterback. I didn't, I mean, a lot of the off field stuff was the reason why Johnny Manziel, um, 
ultimately flopped quickly in the NFL. I just didn't see it, though, as a passer. He thought it was too improvisational. And then also in the 2014 draft class, um, I actually had Mike Evans ahead of Sammy Watkins, and Ryan probably remembers that was controversial. Everyone had Sammy Watkins as wide receiver one. Maybe Odell Beckham toward the end there. People thought, oh, yeah, maybe he's the second or third best. I loved Mike Evans from the start. I thought he made Johnny Manziel um, the quarterback that he was and and to be that highly sought after when I didn't think he was very good. So those three kind of stand out. They're not like huge uh, in terms of being hits when no one else had it, but they were just a little bit of slightly different rankings that I, I did take flag for at the time. And people thought I was nuts for having this Mac edge rusher ahead of Jadavian <laughs> Clowney from the SEC and to not have Johnny Manziel as one of my top two or three quarterbacks was really deemed as crazy. Same thing with Sammy Watkins. So those, again, because I was randomly thinking about that today, it sticks <laughs> out in my head. Um, but definitely not 12 hits to every miss. There's a lot of misses in there. I hate it, but I just know it's part of my job. Well, I just wanted to bring this up because I want to bring a little bit of a humanity to uh, the yeah. screen here and let everybody know, like, these guys are putting a lot out there and like, doing the work, doing the grind that I think a lot of us, you know, what even the, us, the dudes for a living don't have the time to do. So you do a great service and you do a great job. So keep it up. And speaking of a great job, I mean, everything – that he's done it that the, this last calendar year Kyle Pitts out of Florida has just Ooh. been phenomenal I mean this guy is we're sitting here right now and this is like to me if you want to go pound for pound positionally like this dude really ranks up there the last decade for me in like can't miss primo type of prospect that could come in here and maybe change the game at his position I mean he's talking today about you know, the confidence is there. He said he's going to be the greatest tight end to ever play the game. And obviously the testing numbers were phenomenal. And I know that there's probably dream scenarios out there for Bills fans that are like, all right, what is it going to take to get up to maybe 10 or eight? How many? I was just talking about this with John Scott today. Um, oh, up to four, Ryan? I think he's going number four. I, I, I'm, I'm calling it now, Falcons. You put him there with Julio, Kelvin Ridley more so now. And I think they're still kind of stuck with that Matt Ryan contract for a few years. You throw them in that offense and, you know, there's still a lot of issues with the Atlanta Falcons overall, that roster, but they're going to, that would cause some headaches for opposing defenses. Yeah. I think four is probably, uh, especially after his pro day workout way more realistic than it was even a week ago. So Ryan spot on with that. This is fun. Like we need to talk about this. Are the bills going to do it? Probably not, but, Ironically, bringing up the Falcons, I went back 2011 draft when the Falcons traded up for Julio. That's like the only trade that I can remember in somewhat recent draft history where a team made that far of an ascension in round one. They moved from number 27 overall with the Jets to number six overall, or the Browns actually. Uh, They traded, they obviously swapped picks that year. They traded a second rounder, a fourth rounder in 2011. And then their following year's first and second round picks. So that's how much it would take um, for the Bills to ultimately move up. I mean, I don't know if if Brandon Bean or any team inside the top 10 would use that as a template. Um, but it would probably cost you next year's first rounder and another probably day two pick to go from 30 all the way inside the top 10. But we know that Brandon Bean's aggressive. So I don't think it's like absolutely not worth talking about because we know they want tight end. 
We know how good Kyle Pitts is as a receiver, and we know that Brandon Bean is aggressive. If the Bills sent next year's first, um, a third, and this year's second, along with pick 30, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't like that. And me, really, as a draft analyst, just theorizing, like, you don't want to throw away that many early picks because in the long run, um, they usually, like the team that's trading back, usually gets the better of the deal. But that trade worked out for the Falcons. They got Julio Jones, and I don't know what happened with the rest of those other picks from the team that traded back, but the Falcons would probably have made that move in 2012 and 2013 and 2014. They were fine with that selection. And I really believe what Matt was saying, that Kyle Pitts is on par with Julio Jones in terms of being a premier offensive skill position prospect. What's so funny about this, like the quarterback position is so important, and there's no doubt in my mind that Trevor Lawrence, you have to take him no matter what you think of him. Like I think the Jacksonville Jaguars as a franchise are in a position that you can't pass a potential generational talent there. No, no doubt about it. But if you're the Jets sitting there, like from my perspective, outside looking in, like I think you have to make real consideration, even if you don't believe in Sam Darnold, no matter what you think of the other quarterbacks, like I think you have to think about Kyle Pitts there. Like, I know it might sound crazy because the infrastructure in that organization isn't there, but I think it's a bit of a gamble to me, and I don't know these prospects as well as you do, but just reading the the back and forth between those that are high on Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or Justin Fields, and those are that talk about maybe some of the potential downfalls of their games, there's too many question marks. With Kyle Pitts, it doesn't seem like there's a question mark, and that's why – I think when you bring in the Bills into this scenario, listen, gi giving up that much draft capital, when you're talking about two first, first and foremost, two first and Brandon Bean, I could just see the look on his face just considering that. It's going to hurt him. It's going to pain him down deep. But I think that this is the kind of move with this kind of team, this kind of roster that you consider. But I, I think the Jets should consider it too because, I don't know, even if it's not Darnold, I'm – is there another guy in this draft that you're sold enough on to pass maybe a, a, a generational player at another position like Pitts? Well, my I'm probably not the best person to ask because I think I've never been high on Sam Darnold, even when he was a prospect at USC. So maybe that's another one of my hits that everyone loves Sam Darnold. Mm -hmm. um, I had him like graded in the back portion around one. And when they traded up from six to three with trading three third round picks and then pick Sam Darnold, I didn't think it was a good pick. Um, that if I was the Jets, if I was Joe Douglas or GM, I would pick Zach Wilson or Justin Fields just because, like you said, the quarterback spot is the most valuable. But there is an avenue, and again, this is like probably unlikely but fun to talk about. There is an avenue that this new uh, head coach, Robert Sala, and their GM, Joe Douglas, say, hey, we have a former number three overall pick who's 24 years old that had Adam Gase as his head coach and had, yeah. like you said, no infrastructure, offensive line, or skill position talent on the team. It's not as though the Jets like have a journeyman 38-year-old quarterback there. They have a young, talented quarterback. I don't think he's polished to the degree that you need to be a franchise quarterback, but Sam Darnold, his presence on that roster would – make that really interesting for the Jets to say, hey, maybe we should consider getting him, you know, an elite playmaker in Kyle Pitts to see, you know, ultimately what he could do. It's still at such a young age, given that he's not even 25 years old at this point. I have a little 
follow up there because it looks like the 49ers are going quarterback too mm-hmm. uh, at number three. And that makes perfect sense to me because the 49ers roster, the way it's built, they're not going to be in that top three, top five very often. But what does that say if they can't trade away Jimmy Garoppolo, having someone that's that high paid as your backup? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Straight to the point. You know, uh, yeah, I agree with that. It's just it's one of those tough scenarios where, you know, you said this is your guy. You kind of gave him that. He's our guy as well. Uh, just a few weeks ago, maybe it was a week ago or less than that. And now you move up and you pretty much said, yeah, we're kind of looking at the quarterbacks. Uh, if we get blown away with an offer, we'll trade Jimmy. I, I don't think they have to be blown away. I think they're going to, they would trade him in a heartbeat if, if even a, a decent deal comes along. But, you know, in today's NFL, having that much money tied up in a backup is, is very tough to succeed. But I will say the rest of the roster is pretty well constructed. Yeah. Which is exactly why I think they're going to pick Justin Fields. I think, after Lawrence and after Zach Wilson, he's the most ready-to-go quarterback prospect in this class. And every team in the NFL will say that they love their incumbent quarterback hmm. until they get a trade offer for him. And really, outside of what the Lions did, saying like, hey, we are going to let Matthew Stafford explore a trade with Josh Rosen, uh, with Carson Wentz. Every other team says, hey, you know what? He's our guy, and they have their social media team tweet out pictures. He's number one just to keep the trade value high. So I think that's why Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch haven't spoken a bad word about Jimmy Garoppolo and why the Jets have praised Sam Darnold and uh, just really after he's not had any, outside of a few games, real flashes in his first three seasons with the Jets, I think that's why we see it because these teams – want to keep the trade value high. And I think Sam Darnold will ultimately get moved pretty close to the draft. How much Zach Wilson is somebody that is a prospect that I think is super interesting to kind of dissect the, the narrative on him over, over the course of time from my perspective. And again, not being dialed in. And that's why I want to ask you how this holds up to you. To me, I feel like Patrick Mahomes fooled so many people. Like he wasn't on everybody's radar in 2017 when Andy retraded up. It was such a shock. And now I almost feel like that people are looking for any type of comparables to find a guy to skyrocket the, the, the hype around him. And I feel like all through the college season, it was Justin Fields, Justin Fields, Justin Fields at times, Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence from what mm-hmm. I was hearing. And then all of a sudden you get to postseason. It's like, now wait, Zach Wilson, seen a lot of uh, Patrick Mahomes type stuff from him. All right, what changed? Because I I don't feel like I was hearing that as much during the season. This is one of the strangest phenomenons, really, that I've seen since I've been covering the NFL draft because Justin Fields was sensational against Clemson in the college football playoff. And even though Ohio State lost in the national title game to an absolutely loaded Alabama team, Justin Fields was pretty good in that game too. So that should have been enough. If anyone wants bowl game bias or recency bias for, like you said, Matt, Justin Fields to sustain that number two quarterback consensus, it just didn't happen. And I really don't know why. I think more people got to the film on Zach Wilson, including some head coaches that were deep into the playoffs and said, man, we really like this guy. That's probably, or my best guess as to why we've seen this crazy ascension for Zach Wilson He is super talented. I think he does a lot of the things that teams want from their quarterbacks today when they're trying to emulate 
Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson. Um, but I think to your point, which is a good one, that not every young quarterback prospect can do the things that Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen do on a football field. And I think Zach Wilson being a little bit smaller is, is not really my issue with him. And I don't have many issues um, is the fact that mostly lower level competition in college one year as really an elite producer and the fact that he likes to run and, and he is a little bit smaller, he's going to take some hits. I wonder how he'll absorb a lot of those hits and stay healthy in his NFL career. So I, I think, the ascension was warranted for him, but it is kind of crazy how at this point, about a month away from the draft, there seems to be a huge gap in terms of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then Justin Fields way below. And I think they're a lot closer in terms of being just quality quarterback prospects than a lot of people are saying. Um, I, Ryan's going to get to uh, our, our last topic here, but before we do, in the comments on over on Facebook, Ashraf says, uh, Trapasso has some eyebrow razors. 49ers taking fields is a prime example. No one has them taking fields. Lancer Mack. Here's the thing, though. Let me just chime in here because, you know, I'm dissecting a lot of the draft analysis right now. And there's a lot of people that I know that people are saying Mac Jones to the 49ers, but that's eyebrow raising in in and of itself to a it lot of experts. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah has him ranked as like, I think it's 32nd player in the draft. That's a big move words up. And so then you start to put the pieces together, right? And you start thinking, okay, if that's getting out there and there, and people are talking about it, how much do the 49ers want people thinking that they're going to take Mac Jones? So to me, it's not as I think you might be ahead of the game in going with Justin Fields because I think it goes back to the original point to your point that I think he's probably when all things are said and done, the numbers who prospect in this draft. And that's coming from somebody that's just kind of reading the narratives out there. You got to play multiple games this time of year. I feel. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. I, I don't get the Mac Jones thing whatsoever. I mean, I, I see that he could probably work well in Kyle Shanahan's offense, but We've seen over the last decade being an offensive play caller, offensive coordinator early in his career in Houston uh, with the Falcons in, in Washington that he can get efficient play out of like any quarterback, whether it be uh, Nick Mullins or C.J. Beathard or Kirk Cousins or rookie year RG3 or Matt Schaub. That's not a player that you trade three first-round picks for to go from 12 to number three. Justin Fields, like I said, Super accurate, big arm, a lot of athleticism. And I, I kind of researched this uh, over the past week. A lot of times, especially recently, quarterbacks that are picked in round one are the result of a trade-up, which is totally fine. That's the one position, even being a draft guy that loves to see teams accumulate a lot of picks. I'm fine. If you fall in love with a quarterback, go up and get him. The quarter, Go look at the list of the quarterbacks who were picked as a result of a trade-up, the guys who have ultimately failed are the guys who are not freaky specimens at the position. Mitchell Trubisky, Jared Goff, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold. They were all good prospects. People liked them. They did a lot of things well at the quarterback spot. The guys that have succeeded are the guys that have freaky arm talent and are freaky athletes. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, um, forgetting a bunch, but like those guys are the ones that you trade up for. You don't trade up for someone who can be a middle of the road starter or maybe a little bit above average. I think sitting there at 12 overall, the 49ers could have just sat there and picked Mac Jones if they really, really liked him. 
to make such an ascension, you're trading up for a Kyle Pitts or a Julio Jones or a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes. That's why I've kind of shied away from any of this talk that it's going to be Mac Jones at number three to me. And yes, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch know way more about football than I do, but I just think that would be preposterous for them to pick him at number three overall. Yeah, and I agree with that. So one position where the Bills are stacked is wide receiver. And Mm -hmm. great talent across the board. Deep, you're talking five or six guys already competing for a role. But friend of the show, John Scott, said today, there's a lot of these wide receivers testing off the charts at their pro days. They've had productive careers. And you don't want to lose your fastball, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. Buffalo, you need those wide receivers. So would it be crazy for the Bills to select a wide receiver in the first three rounds of this year's draft? And if they did that, would that mean they would almost have to carry seven wide receivers? Because we already know one through five, uh, you know, one through four are definitely set in place with Gabriel Davis being number four, uh, Manuel Sanders, which you could flip-flop those two, Cole Beasley, Stefan Diggs. But you'd like to think Isaiah McKenzie – Due to his returning ability, the gadget player would be number five. You have Isaiah Hodgins that you drafted last year. But should the Bills at least consider taking a wide receiver in these first three rounds? Yeah, definitely. And I really like that phrase, don't lose your fastball. Sean McDermott said it. Joe Marino of the Draft Network, who's a Bills guy, has been tweeting it a lot. The Bills use four wide receiver sets like near the top of the league in terms of rate. So it's not really a team, and it's kind of why I I don't necessarily think they're going to go early tight end. I mean, there's Kyle Pitts, there's Pat Fryermuth, there's Brevin Jordan. After that, the tight end group really drops off. I think the Bills are like, hey, we are a wide receiver-based team that is going to prioritize quickness off the line of scrimmage, separation ability, speed down the field, uh, being able mostly to get open short to intermediate levels for Josh Allen, I think they definitely should consider it. Maybe not in the first round, but if like Rondell Moore slips, if Kadarius Toney slips, you never know. I mean, that sounds crazy today, a month away from the draft, but we've seen a lot crazier stuff. DK Metcalf was the last pick in round two just two years ago, and everyone had him going to the Bills at number 10 or nine or 10 overall in that draft class. So I think they should consider it. I think they will consider it because all this cohesiveness with Brian Dable coming back, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean know exactly what he wants from his offense. We know they're in lockstep with each other. I think there it's another really good wide receiver class. Emmanuel Sanders is 34. Cole Beasley's going into the final year of his contract. He's over 30. Uh, it would be smart for the Bills, first three, maybe first four rounds, to pick another wide receiver that fits the mold of what they want, a quick separator who can get open. And there are plenty rounds, three rounds, four rounds, five who will ultimately be picked there. Who are some of those names? I I totally agree with everything that you just said, because um, one of the things I really like, I feel like Brandon Bean must, I mean, you hear this phrase all the time, different flavor of, you know, player at each position, especially at the receiver spot. And he has got, tons of flavors i mean you go seven eight deep and start talking about a jake kumaro who at this point i think has a lot of upside in this offense for him to do what he did on, on short limited opportunities i think there's some excitement there especially within the fan base and there's all there's all types of isaiah hodgins isaiah mckenzie if he were to ever get a larger role um so many possibilities but who are some of those guys that you know maybe in the vein of a gabe davis that are going to be there in the second third maybe i know they don't have a fourth round pick right now but maybe as, as late as the fifth that could add some of the that kind of value and that kind of developmental talent. 
Yeah, I'm just looking at my list here, and there it's deep. Like I love this wide receiver class again, not even just for the elite talents in round one that are going to go in the top ten, um, but to rattle off a few. Daz Newsome from North Carolina. Mm. Diami Brown is the North Carolina wide receiver that's getting all the publicity, all the hype. He could go in round two. He's tall. He's a vertical guy. I think the Bills would be interested in that, but Daz Newsome in 2019 was another North Carolina uh, wide receiver who went over a thousand yards. He's smaller. He's in the slot. He's super sudden. He's a great return man, which the Bills could certainly use some more competition there. But I like to see wide receivers that are returners because you know that translates in terms of their yards after the catch. And Daz Newsom didn't have a great 2020. They ran the football a lot, and Brown was really featured. But I think third round or maybe even in the fifth round, uh, the Bills should maybe think about him because he just fits the mold, like I said. Very quick, runs good routes, and can get open. If they want more speed, which I think after losing John Brown, even with Emmanuel Sanders coming into the mix, I think they do want to add Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan to stay in the MAC. Um, redshirt senior played very well at the Senior Bowl during practices. Uh, is someone that can take a slant and go 90 yards for a touchdown. Runs very good routes. You typically see that um, with wide receivers that are a little bit older can beat press coverage at the line. He's smaller. He's sudden. I think he's faster than he is quick. It's usually the other way around. But Dwayne Eskridge, probably third, uh, fourth, fifth round, somewhere in that area. And another name a little bit later, not crazy productive, Frank Darby from Arizona State. Just I actually just watched him. I'm trying to get to these last couple of players here a month out from the draft. Very sudden. Uh, was productive from his freshman season on for the Sun Devils, playing behind Nikhil Harry, and then Brandon Ayuk. He was never really the go-to guy until this season. Very sudden, great releases off the line of scrimmage. I think he could be someone that would really play, like outplay his draft position because he's going to get picked later because the production wasn't there. But I think the Bills could fall in love with his traits. And that's only three. There is a bunch. If the Bills mm -hmm. want a gadget guy, there's Marquez Stevenson. There's Tutu Atwell. I think just like Ryan was insinuating, third, fifth round with those one of those two picks, and they have, I believe, two picks in round five. It would not surprise me if the Bills ultimately go receiver because you want to just keep adding more weapons for Josh Allen. Now, one wide receiver I had in my mock draft in round five was uh, Smith Marset out of Iowa. Mm -hmm. Uh, what one. are your thoughts on on him as a potential fit in this offense? And he also has the return ability that you mentioned. Yeah, I think he could be truly an upgrade to what Isaiah McKenzie does that could give you a lot of the jet sweep stuff, reverses, uh, bubble screens. He's smaller, he's skinny, and it's so funny that like normally you dink wide receivers for that, but I think in today's NFL, the league wants wide receivers that are a little smaller, that are a little quicker and a little faster. And the returnability is certainly there as well. I don't know how amazing of a route runner he is in terms of getting open, but similar to Frank Darby, similar to the other wide receivers I, I talked about, he has the traits to get open because he is sudden. He is pretty fast down the football field. Smith-Marset in round five, round six, you could really ease him into a role, give him legitimate competition to Isaiah McKenzie, but give him the football on occasion. He's someone that in space – could be that high percentage throw guy that can turn a bubble screen into a 15 yard game. So I was looking um, in the last week or two, I was looking at the one site does a roundup of all the mock drafts and, and gives like a grade for how accurate they were. And I got to give you a shout out, man. Like I think you were 50 on the list, 
But like I was going down the list and I didn't know anybody on the list. And you kind of know who's in the draft community. I mean, I could probably list you 25 names that I kind of follow during this time of year. And you were the top one. But I want to give you a hard time too, though. The host of the Pick Six podcast, Will Brinson, he had a he had a better score. What's up with that? He's he's not the draft expert over there. I know mock drafts are weird because really, I get like my wife, my in laws are like, "Hey, how like how did your mock draft do?" Like the day after the draft. And to be honest, I personally don't care about how many I get right. Am I trying to get them wrong when I'm submitting that final one? No, but really. When it comes to getting a mock draft correct, it's really the one who's following the tea leaves more than anyone else. And and or you're Daniel Jeremiah and you're Lance Zerline or you're Mel Kuyper and you're literally talking to GMs on a daily basis and they're either lying to you or they are giving you your draft plans. I think 2019 and I did a lot better this past 2020. I did not do very well. So hats off to Will Brinson. I'm not expecting necessarily. I, I'm not going to come on and say that I'm going to guarantee that I'll do better than any other CBS colleague in terms of hitting on those mock draft picks. If you get like six or seven, right, that's like a great day. So, I mean, in terms of being a draft analyst and accepting that you're going to be wrong a lot, there's none better than your final mock draft. You're going to get like maybe five or six picks out of 32. Correct. Well, uh, that was just a little fun. Uh, no, it's all good. Thing at the end of the thing, you, you do a great <laughs> job, man. And this has been, an educational, interesting conversation. We're so grateful that you, you carved out over an hour for us and our yeah. listeners tonight. We really appreciate it. Go follow Chris on Twitter. You can find all of his draft coverage. Let everybody know what you got, what you got out now, what's what's still to come. You've had a bunch of really cool pieces over the last couple of week, weeks looking at different topics with the drafts, draft slant. There's so much that you're kind of putting out there right now. Yeah, next week uh, I'm going to do a really fun series. I think – is really educational and just a good reference for readers. I'm going to do like wide receivers. I don't know what other positions I have, but by type. So it's a good one to bookmark. So you can say like, Hey, who are the gadget types? Who are the tall vertical threats? Who are the chain moving rebounders that aren't great separators? Who are the well-rounded wide receivers? And I'll have some analysis about each group, but it's just good to get out there. So fans can go back when they're in round two and the bills are picking in round three so you can see who's still available and what type of wide receiver or what type of edge rusher is still on the board. I'm going to start that series uh, as we get closer to the draft. Awesome, my friend. Uh, you killed it. Uh, maybe if we can even get you back on, we might get you back on before the draft if you're willing. Yeah, let's do that. And I think what I love more than anything else is right after the draft because I have all these rankings. Mm, so there's yes. no hindsight. You can say, what did you think about this pick? I can't come on here and lie. I can't exaggerate i can say hey i had tradavius white as my number one corner or i had devin singletary as my number one running back both true facts uh that i can come on and point to all of those after the bills make their pick so if you want me on in the next couple of weeks i'll gladly do it but after the draft if i come on before you got to promise to have me on sometime in early may sold sold but right, maybe on both it. fronts we'll see how it goes i don't want to take up too much of your time i know you got a lot of things to do over the next couple of weeks we appreciate you my friend have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon all right thanks a lot guys later chris all right we're gonna hang around for another minute while you're watching please hit that subscribe button and hit the like button as well ryan why is it so important we're trying to build up this page ladies and gents 
we were, you know, we were under the NY Up banner for a while. We still are, obviously, but we wanted to start our own page because of the fan support that we have. So, like Matt said, smash that like and subscribe button because we don't want you to miss any of these episodes. Once you subscribe, you are locked in. You know when we are going live, whether it's a spur of the moment because someone was signed or whether it is uh, something that we have scheduled like these weekly shows. Come draft time, Matt and I are going to be going live a lot. So make sure that you hit that subscribe button. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fast and furious, just like it was during free agency. I, I've gotten some people that have DM me and asked, you know, after uh, – you know, Bobby Hart signing. Are you guys going live? No, you know, that, that we're going to kind of group into the weekly uh, roundup, if you will, as things, you know, kind of use some some judgment calls on, it, you know, if, if it's worth a, a full show. But I want to off topic here, Ryan. I got a bone to pick before we get out of here. Okay. <laughs> Our buddies over at Trainwreck Sports, big fan. Love uh, Maniac, Degenerate Al, always supportive of their stuff. They're running a pop shot tournament. Did you see that? Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, I was following along. I love Pop Shot. I texted uh, Maniac and I said, "What's up, bro? Where? What's my seed in the Pop Shot tourney?" <laughs> and he's like, "Bro, I sent out three t- t- three tweets. I sent out three tweets. I was just asking for people to join. The- I-, I got. I- we got it full. We got it filled up. Really, bro? Really? You know." I would come in there and just wipe the floor with your entire <laughs> lineup that you put together in the pop shot tourney, and you can't give me a spot. You give a spot to to Joe Conzi, and not to me. <laughs> I'll never forget this. But here's the challenge. I'm laying it out right now. Whoever wins this charade of a pop shot tournament, I got the winner, and that's for the real championship because I'm going to drop an 80 or 90 on them. And we're gonna stream it. We are. We got a big. We got some big hoops things coming up. I got to build my. Uh, as you said, if you follow me on Twitter, you see I'm trying to build. By the way, trying to build my kids' uh, basketball hoop. Five steps in the 59 step process. I had to put it down. I'm calling in my father-in-law. <laughs> He's coming over on Friday. We're gonna try to build that thing. And then once that's built, we're bringing Marcel over, Nate Geary. They're gonna team up against me and John Scott. We're gonna stream it. We're going to probably get them 11-0, 21-5, depending on what they want to play up to. We'll see how it goes. Uh, But, yeah, I'm obviously a big basketball fan. Final thought, Ryan. Yeah, Final thought, I can't wait to watch that live stream of that two-on-two game. I I feel like John Scott has some Shaq vibes going with that build. He's going to be able to back some people down in front of that hoop. So, uh, really looking forward to that. Bills fans, thank you for your continued support. Stay locked in with us on social media on nyf.com, syracuse.com, and, of course, right here on YouTube and all of the major podcast platforms. I'm seeing some people creep in saying, dang, I missed most of the stream, and that's my bad. Like, I'm going to get a little bit better. Like, you know, obviously, you know, I write the – we write stories. We do we do the podcast. We're, do, we're doing all this coverage. Sometimes I'm a little bit lackadaisical on when I get the stream information up. I want to be better about that. We're going to start getting those up on Monday, hopefully. We had this Wednesday show scheduled since Sunday, so I should have had that on so you guys knew that it was at 7.30 all week long. So we'll try to get better at that, at, at scheduling these out, and they'll be better over the course of the offseason, uh, not as immediate, um, but it'll be fun. You know, In terms of the, the, the two-on-two game, though, Ryan, I'm, I'm starting to scout them a little bit. I'm not, you know, I've not seen Marcel actually – um lace them up and play yet i have played with john scott 
John Scott's a baller. He's a banger. He can get inside. He's physical. He's huge. He can shoot three. I know that anywhere I get the ball to him, and I'm a little bit of a facilitator. I like to, you know, I like to score the ball a little bit as well. But listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna get John involved early. I have zero fear of Nate Geary on a basketball court. Okay. <laughs> if we were playing division three football and I wanted somebody to hold my kick, then I would get a little bit nervous about it. But you know what? This is, I don't need the backup quarterback. Okay. I need a basketball player. And I know for a fact that Nate Geary is going to have nothing for us. Now I'm just, I'm just talking some treasure. Those are all my guys. And uh, it's going to be so much fun for Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. So much fun this whole next month as we dive into NFL draft coverage. This is just the start. We are going to have multiple guests uh, every week. It's going to be a draft specific show on Wednesday. We'll have any emergency reaction pods that we need to have over the course of the next couple of weeks. And then it's on to the draft. I will be in Cleveland. And hey, maybe, you know, Ryan, if you're feeling froggy and you want to come to Cleveland, we could do a live show from Cleveland. We'll talk about it during the week and we got to figure that out. Uh, but I'll be in Cleveland on the Wednesday night. But I think what we're going to do, because we're doing a live show there for Channel 4, I'm going to do a live show there after that on here from Cleveland for the draft. But I think I'm then going to come back so we can be pretty mobile and pretty reactive and do all of our shows like usual once the draft kicks off. So we're still putting those plans together. We're really excited about it. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Ryan Talbot, Matt Perino, we will be back next week. Or if anything drops, keep it locked on Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com.